AOM is happening April 3rd and 4th. That's the annual orthopedic meeting from the Academy of Orthopedic Physical Therapists. This is our big conference this year, focusing on head, spine, and shoulder disorders, integration over isolation. Check out more information at orthopt.org. This conference is for PTs, residents, fellows, PhD students, and yeah, DPT students who want to get a little ahead of the curve from the Academy of Orthopedic Physical Therapists. Meeting will feature a great general session followed by breakout sessions each day, April 3rd and 4th. Interactive sessions, you're going to be hands-on, along with panel discussions to get some Q&A to end each day. Attendees will have opportunity to attend all breakout sessions this year at the annual orthopedic meeting, April 3 and 4, Mall of America in Minneapolis, St. Paul, from the Academy of Orthopedic Physical Therapists. Find out more information at orthopt.org. You know, it's one of those things that, you know, Alicia Duckworth, who wrote the book Grit, she talked about talent times effort equals skill, and then skill times effort equals ability. And in both those equations, the effort is in there, and therefore it means the amount of effort you put into things is twofold, and the output that you're going to get for your abilities. And so it's that grit, you know, you got to do the work, you got to grind it out because it's going to pay off double if you do. We talked to Trent Harrison today on the show. Trent has a unique background, and that is putting it mildly. We talk about his time working in Japan as a bartender, an anthropology major background before he ever came to physical therapy and the health fields. Just a really unique lens that he sees the world through. And now he works as a director of a residency for Brooks IHL, uh, one of the sponsors of this program. And uh, he's building something really, really cool online, a community to facilitate learning. I'm, I'm telling you, you're going to learn on this episode. Just just take a listen to Trent, all the things that he's done and how he put it into play for all the things that he's doing. Episode is brought to you by our friends at Owens Recovery Science. They're a single source for physical therapists who are seeking to add personalized blood flow restriction rehabilitation training to their clinical skill set. Find information about BFR at owensrecoveryscience.com. They've got the research, the information, again, the uh, the links to the equipment that you need to apply it clinically, properly, safely uh, with your patients. Again, owensrecoveryscience.com. The best conversations happen at happy hour. Welcome to ours. Welcome aboard. This is the PT Pinecast. Here's your host, physical therapist, Jimmy McKay. Hello, hello. How we doing? <laughs> I'm doing well. How are you doing, Jimmy? I'm doing good, man. I was excited. I was, uh, you know, doing the whole, you know, yesterday at the end of my day, I usually like look forward, like, all right, what do we have tomorrow? What do we have to set up? And I was like, oh, Trent's finally getting connect. That's cool. <laughs> oh, it's all good. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome, man. Cool. Um, what's new with you? Anything Anything uh, fun and exciting down, uh, down south? You know, always the family front's always exciting because, yeah. you know, when you've got little ones under five, like every day is new. Yeah. So that's always, you know, that's always every day you're like, what the hell are these two little kids going to do? <laughs> <laughs> and they do something and you're like, oh my gosh, like, where did that come from? It could be, uh, so, it, you know, it, it could be great or it could be really messy. <laughs> exactly, either way. Exactly. Exactly. So, so when it comes to the family front, that's always wonderful. You know, when it comes to the career stuff, we're in the heat of, um, application time for workplace residency. So that's always fun because whenever you're kind of going through applications and constructing your new class that you always get this, you know, massive buzz where it's like all the potential and, you know, how do I construct this group so that they're a good dynamic and yeah. that we work well together and everything. So that always, that's always nice. Anytime it's, it's like the same thing as going to conference where it's like you get this, you know, throw a ton of logs on the fire and yep. all of a sudden you come away from conference and you're like tackling the world. Yeah. 
how I feel during application time. I, when, mean, I get that same kind of feeling. When you're putting a class together, are you looking at dynamics? I mean, how big is a yeah. class? How big is a residency class for you guys? Seven, usually. So are you yeah. looking at like, hey, do I have too many this type of personality where this, you know, with, you know, are you like trying to like mix the perfect kind of formula? To a degree. So that's one of the things that, you know, Bob always talks about having a good, you know, and he's always been a great mentor of mine, but, you know, the dynamics in the classroom and the culture of the classroom. And so you always, obviously, you try and take the best seven no matter what. Right. So it's like, you know, you, you rank them all up. But if there's people that are sort of parallels, then you start thinking about, okay, what, what kind of, based on the information I have, which is not a ton of information, and you don't want to infer too much, but you definitely want to start trying to say, you know, do I have someone who has you know, more of these leadership qualities? Do I have someone who's got more of these very organized structure? Like you look at their, the way everything's constructed, that they're going to be the person who's making sure everyone's on task. You want to have the person who's a little bit more, yeah. you know, vocal and fun and they seem like they're dynamic and, you know, they're going to bring some energy to the class. So yeah, you try and balance it out. I think they probably did that when I was applying to PT school and they were like, we need like an old guy who, <laughs> me too, dude. who did something weird <laughs> in his, in his previous career yeah. and the radio DJ fit that. But you know, you joke about that, but I wanted to start off talking with you about your background because it was only like, it was like the second or third time that we had hung out before I started to figure out that you had, You've done some really different and cool stuff. Talk about that for a second. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, when it comes to my life, um, I was definitely all over the board. You know, I, I was at Florida State and I had I was actually studying anthropology in undergrad. And I, I'll admit that that's half like I'm very interested in different cultures. I love traveling. And so I was part of it was I was super interested in culture. Part of it was. I was super interested in sort of getting out there in the world. And so it was one of those things that, you know, anthropology just kind of sung for me. And I was taking Japanese as a minor. And that was because I'd always been really into East Asian cultures, specifically Japan. And um, I was doing lots of martial arts. I was teaching martial arts. I was doing all kinds of stuff back in college. And so, yeah, so after I graduated PT school, I was right off, you know, on a plane pretty soon after and um, living in Japan for wow. a couple of years. And I was doing, I thought I was going to be an interpreter at that point in time. I was trying to take Japanese intensively at one of the universities there. And, you know, I was bartending at night and I was, you know, tutoring people in English. And, you know, it was an adventure, that's for sure. Wow. <laughs> it was definitely an adventure. It was, a, it, was a, it was a crazy time in my life to reflect back on. Like, wow, that really happened. Yeah. Like, it seems like a movie. What did uh, what did being a bartender in Japan teach you? What lessons did you get for that? You you must have gotten a few. Well, it was hilarious because I was in Japan, and at the time, you know, at, the, at that time of my life, I wasn't even drinking, right? So I hadn't had. I was, you know, I was. I think it was mostly like the martial arts background, or just you know, one of those things that I was always like, you know, the the responsible one, you know, in that sense in high school and college, et cetera. And so I go over there and I'm, and I, I, it's expensive. <laughs> Japan is expensive right. and I had to find some sort of nice job. And so I'm looking through these papers that are for like, you know, foreigners that are looking for, for jobs. And I see one that says hall monitor for a bar. And I was like, I can monitor a hall. What? Sure. Let's go do that. Yeah. So I show up at this bar and the, the title was hall monitor. And I go to this bar and 
it's just one room. I'm like, there's no halls here. What is, <laughs> I don't even know what this job means. And I go to the, the business owner and he, and he tells me that he wants me to be a bartender. And I, I told him, I, I have no idea how to make any drink. Like, I don't know what, I don't know what you want me to do. And he said, you're hired. And it was completely, all I was doing was I was cracking the tops on beers and talking to businessmen because it was on the side of town in Tokyo that there wasn't a lot of foreigners. It was more of like the business district area. Right. And so these businessmen, these salarymen, as they're called in Japan, these salarymen would get off work and very traditional. They go straight to the bar with their colleagues. But this was an opportunity. They wanted to have an opportunity in this bar that someone could come in and they could casually practice their English. So my whole role was, you know, pour beer and talk to the individual who's sitting at the bar who wants to speak English and practice. And so it was, it was a lot of fun. You know, I enjoyed it. It was, it was very different. It was not what I was expecting when I was going to Japan is one of the jobs I was doing, one of the random multiple jobs I was going to be doing while I was there. That's one of those situations where you go in and you're like, I don't know, what the heck does hall monitor mean? Next thing you know, you're trying to talk, you're trying to talk the guy out of hiring you. You're like, I don't know anything about bartending. He's like, don't worry about it. You're hired. And then you just go with it. And I mean, that's the, a really cool experience that you can tell and, and, and kind of look back on and, and say what you just said a second ago. It was like, wow, that actually happened. Well, I think that, you know, I think that my entire experience in Japan was 100% lesson in communication skills because the entire time I'm there, whether I was trying to teach someone English, whether I was trying to learn Japanese, or whether I was trying to have small talk with people, you know, that I don't, you know, I, I only know half the words they're saying towards me. All of it was trying to get to the root and the cause of what is it, what is this meaningful situation? Like, what's, what's the, the nugget that we're trying to get away from, me, from each other? Like, what's the experience we're trying to have? Right. How can I connect with this person? How can I connect with this person to make sure they're having a good time and I'm having a good time and that we actually have some sort of meaningful relationship in this moment? And I think that those kind of things made it so that I, it made me such a stronger candidate for something like physical therapy, you know, something where these relationships you're building on a day to day for, you know, you have to quickly build a relationship with someone like yeah. instantaneously. Like I'm in an email room, here's a stranger. I know they're coming for something. I don't know if they're distressed. I don't know their mood, you know, I have my screening tools. I can kind of see if they have a yellow flag, if they have, you know, fear avoidance or those kind of things. But how can I now connect with that person? And I think there's a lot of people drawn to physical therapy who are looking for, looking for being able to make connections with patients. But the question is, do they have the skill sets and the tool sets yet to do that? And that's tough. You know, those are tough, soft skills. And, and those are muscles on their own that you have to flex. And you got to get out there and, and work it. So yeah. I think that my entire time in Japan was, you know, the weightlifting room for my small talk skills. Yeah, well said. You know, I agree wholeheartedly in terms of some people say, I'm just not a good communicator or I'm weak at that. Um, and hey, you know, Jimmy, you have a background in it, which means you're, you're, you know, you're set up, you're just going to be way better. It's a muscle. If you flex it, you'll get better at it. And you were, and you were immersed in Japan. There was no option. You had to flex that muscle. You were probably always on guard looking for, oh man, like how is someone going to communicate with me? How am I going to respond? What you're immediately trying to figure out what they want or what they're looking for. And that there's a lesson in that in terms of patient interaction. Yeah, one hundred percent. And I and I think the same is for you in the sense that you know your yes, you have the communication background, but I'm sure that it's much more of the being thrown in the fire in terms of all the interviews you had right. to do and all of the you oh. know this jockey type scenarios where 
there's a live mic in front of me and there could be hundreds of thousands of people listening, I better not say anything oh. that's going to make me look like an idiot. Oh, I could, I could share some stories about epic fails, and I'm sure I've shared a few on this show, but yes. <laughs> but what did those epic fails teach you? Like I, the, the one that I refer to a lot, or I used to teach you know, people who were starting in radio and kids who were listening, one day uh, in the past, we used to use these things called CDs. And so you'd, if you accidentally <laughs> popped out the CD that was playing live on the air... It sh- music just stopped. Oh. It was not an MP3, okay? We, we could not just immediately start from where we stopped. So that jolt of adrenaline goes through you, but that's that muscle. You know, you, you only, you, you fail once, and then all of a sudden you're like, okay, I'm, ne- I'm going to stay away from that. Uh, your background yeah. is, okay, clear this up for me. You were an anthropology yeah. major. Anthropology, yeah. sociology, I know they're kind of close. I know both of those words, but like what's anthropology? Anthropology is like study of like culture? Yeah, it's the study. So it's the study of culture. So there's different subsets of anthropology. So at Florida State, when I was, you you could do anthropology, but then like the subsets would be like archaeology, physical anthropology, cultural anthropology, linguistics. Like all of those kind of fell under the same school and umbrella. The big word, like you could think of the big buzzword when I was in anthropology school, it was holistic, and you know it was always the holistic approach to culture, and so it was always. You're not looking at one individual facet. You have to take every nuance that there is about how this individual is living, how they're talking, how they're communicating, what's the environment they live in, what's their niche, what are the resources there. How do all of those things come together to influence how this person lives and how this culture was developed? And so what I loved about anthropology is, one, you, you studied all these different cultures, and each one was vastly different, but it was trying to figure out the nuances that were the catalyst behind or the reason behind why that culture did what it did. You know, you, right. you hear about certain cultures that, you know, they, like, you would study these different indigenous cultures that they didn't have any numbers. They didn't have a number system. It was either zero or something. You know, it was either that they had none of those things or they had those things. They didn't right. care about the number. But then they would have, like, 100,000 different words for plants because, in that culture, understanding the nuance and difference between the different types of plants was much more important than, do I have 10 or 8 of these? At least I have. So there was all these interesting kind of, you know, reasons behind why things were happening, you know? And so I just thought it was, a, it was, it definitely opened my mind to how I reflect and sort of like look at scenarios because I try to take a much broader swath, you know, initially yeah. before I then go in deep into the details because yeah. if you go straight to the details you're probably gonna miss a lot of stuff yeah no that's uh that that can be you know relatable to a lot of different fields and then and then fast forward you, you come to physical therapy but you're, you're also going to bring that mindset that you were just talking about with you you can't untie it that's just part of you uh what brought you to pt yeah. and how'd you, how'd you find your way in physical therapy was one of those things where it was actually i was actually in japan with my buddy and we were it was when all the, the, the sort of um, tsunamis and everything started hitting like Thailand. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if people are going to remember you know, those, but we were like, oh, we got to help. We got to do something. And then we realized there's zero, we have zero skill set. It was like, well, we go over there and start trying to translate Japanese. Like, right. what is this? You know, that's not going to help anybody. So it was around that time that I realized I needed, I, I, it's not that I needed because I think that there's honor in all different sort of you know, professions. But for me, it was, I wanted I wanted to go to the healthcare field. Like I felt like I needed to help. And, you know, I have family members that are in medicine, but to me, medicine 
I'd lived that life sort of, you know, like I grew up in a hospital. My father's a cardiologist, so I was always in and out of the hospitals, you know, seeing him work. And that style of work, that didn't appeal to me at all. Mm-hmm. And so for me, it was, well, I'd like to be in the healthcare profession, but what would I like to do? And it was actually one of my friend's parents that she brought physical therapy to my attention because, you know, luckily I'd never had any injuries growing up, so I had never been exposed to it. But she brought it to my attention. I was like, gosh, you know, I, I love movement. I love cultures. I love all of these different things. And to me, physical therapy was starting to combine all of that. But I didn't really have a ton of knowledge of it. And there was part of it that was a leap of faith. You know, I, I did my volunteer hours. And, you know, I was, I was, you know, 29 when I got into PT school. Mm-hmm. And so it was one of those sort of like, it sounds like it's the right thing for me. It sounds like the right fit. I've done as much research as I can on it. So I'm just going to take the leap. And, and luckily, I think that for me, the school I ended up going to was perfect. You know, I went to the University of St. Augustine in St. Augustine. Mm-hmm. And um, I can tell you that, that what was perfect about that for me was that instead of a physical therapy school that was a department of a university where you're kind of surrounded by all the different colleges, all the health colleges, et cetera, on the campus of St. Augustine, it was you and like 300 other people that are pretty much just being physical therapy trained. You have some other individuals that are like doing OT, but for the most part, all the instructors are PTs. And so you were just inundated with physical therapy and the culture of advocacy. And so, you know, there's that, I'm going to say positive brainwashing sort of that's occurring. But for me, that was ideal because I, I wanted that, you know, I wanted to be engrossed in sort of what it meant to be a professional physical therapist. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, look, I mean, I draw parallels between two things, right? I mean, you describing your perfect PT school experience sounds like immersion. You go to Japan immersion. It sounds like that you want, yeah. you, you don't, you don't tow in, you don't use the ladder to get into the pool. You jump into the deep end and go. That's, yeah. There's probably some truth to that. That's a, that's a cool reflection that I had, I wasn't thinking about it. It's, it's probably I'd also need a kick in the butt, you know, sure. just like some other people. And to me, if you get dunked in, you're going to have to swim. So you can't procrastinate if you're in the deep. Yep. <laughs> That's it. That's well said. And th- now talk a little bit about what you get to do now. You, you, you practice as a physical therapist in what setting for how long? And then where are you now? What, what cool things do you get to do? Oh, yeah. I love my job. I'm at, I, so I'm at uh, Brooks Rehabilitation. And I've been here since So I graduated PT school. And then I went straight into uh, the Brooks Rehabilitation Outpatient Branch. And I wanted a job there because I specifically wanted to do their orthopedic residency program. And that was one of the other things about being at St. Augustine. As a student, there were fellows in training there. And as a student, you saw what the teachers were kind of, how the teachers were interacting with these fellows in training. And you could hear the conversations. And you're like, you know, for me, it's probably like my martial arts background. It felt like, you know, belt systems or it felt like leveling up and it right. was, okay, I, I, I need to do that. And also I'm an older clinician, older, quote unquote, you know, I'm, I'm going to be graduating in my thirties. And if I want to hyperdrive my clinical experiences, you know, I don't have that extra 10 years that some individuals might have. I want to get in as fast as I can. So I want to do a fellowship and residence. So I went to Brooks and I got into the outpatient specifically because I wanted to apply to the residency program. I got into the orthopedic residency program. Uh, that was an intense, intense year long uh, that I was studying under uh, Dr. Rain Osborne, who was the orthopedic residency coordinator at the time. And then after that, I did the fellowship 
My name is Bob Rowe, who you know, Bob. Yep. Um, and so you can imagine the experiences with both those individuals, sure. both sculpting you as sort of a professional. And then after that, I, I dabbled a little bit in, you know, outpatient clinical management. But to me, I was always drawn more towards education, mainly like how, how people learn and how you can take information and sculpt it in a way to make it easier for people to learn. And so that's where I was initially. And then I got into eventually the orthopedic residency position. So now I'm the orthopedic residency coordinator. So it works. I take on a cohort every year. And that's, it's, it's interesting because residencies are very different, you know, from place to place. You can go all across the U.S. and you can go look at different residencies and they all have a core bottom line. Like this is the requirements that the residency needs, but then how they sort of layer on the experiences are very different. And that's great because it means that as an individual who wants to go do a residency, they've got variety, right? And the Brooks residency is very unique in that it is, as a residency coordinator, I'm not clinically practicing for, you know, 36 hours a week and then I'm just residency coordinator for four hours. I am the residency coordinator 24-7. So what I do on a daily basis is I've got seven residents. I do the mentoring for all of them. And so most of my week is I'm bouncing around from clinic to clinic doing these four-hour blocks of mentoring with the residents. And then every Friday, the residents do four tens Monday through Thursday. And every Friday, we all are together in a classroom for eight hours, and we're going over clinical reasoning, you know, didactic learning, psychomotor skills, et cetera. Or, or we're just talking about what are the challenging things that happened this week in the clinic? What are some scenarios that came up that you were unexpected that I don't have on the docket because... You know, those are unique sort of learning experiences. And now let's talk through it. You know, so a lot of that occurs in those classrooms as well. And so that's what I'm, that's what I get to do now is is I get to go and mentor these individuals with their patients. So I get the hands-on sort of experience and the interactions with the patients via the resident. And then I get to think about during my week, how am I going to teach these different lessons and how am I going to develop this program and continue to push this program from a academic standpoint, from a curriculum standpoint, uh, and then implement that. And so I love my job. I, I, I can't sing the praise of it enough. It sounds like a pretty good learning environment in terms of the four tens and then, hey, let's break down whatever was troubling you this week or let's look ahead to next week on Fridays. Yeah, it is. It's one of those things that, you know, I think that a lot of programs wrestle with how many hours someone could be in, should be in the clinic. You know, there's a lot of programs that will do 32 hours or, and then that gives them so that class time or study time is built into their 40 hours. From the philosophy at Brooks behind the, the need for 40 is the need for reps. I mean, you need to have yeah. your hands on patients X amount of time so that then you can integrate it more smoothly and then you can have more of those experiences that we can talk about. And, and so it's a rep count for us. We want, we want individuals to have, and one of the other things is that I think a lot of people don't realize what they can accomplish until they're pushed to it. So it's a very hard year because you're doing 40 hours a week and then you're doing on top of that possibly eight hours a week of class and then you're working on case reports and you're actually studying. And that's sort of almost like, you know, you got to temper steel by putting it into a fire first. And, and I think that that changes the, the grit level of our residents. By the time they're done with it, you know, they're, 
they're going to look at things in their life and daily practice as, oh, this is a problem. I can handle this. Like what you hear? Tell a friend or leave a review on iTunes or Google Play. New Step created the first product of its kind 25 years ago. That was the New Step Recumbent Cross Trainer. Now it's a mainstay in rehab with physical therapists worldwide. New Step now continues its tradition of innovation with the New Step Transit, another innovation in recumbent cross trainers for physical therapists, delivering real-time biofeedback with this piece of equipment, letting you use it in meaningful ways for awareness of physical performance, uh, goals, identifying and correcting deficits or imbalances. Take a test drive or find out more at newstep.com. That's N-U-Step.com. Online at newstep.com. Back to the PT Pinecast with Jimmy McKay. Trent Harrison on the phone right now. Brooks IHL is where you could find more information. That's brooksihl.com, the website for uh, for Brooks. You, uh, you've you taken your background. That's why I wanted to start with your background and then come to where you are currently. And we did that. But now, you know, you, you're, you're bored, right? You're sitting around. You don't have a lot going on in terms of time, family, residency. You decided to take on a different project a little bit, and it's called Physio Nexus. Besides the name, you know, describe it. What What is it and why did you decide to create it? What's the goal? Yeah, so Physio Nexus to me, I'm, I'm kind of a tech junkie. And I, I wanted to create something. I wanted to create a website. I wanted to create a utility. And there's a couple of reasons why it kind of came about. Initially, I think it came about because of, you know, I, I did the residency with Ray Osborne and I did the fellowship with Bob Rowe. And both of them sort of preach practice variants and the importance of you know, outcome tracking. There's everyone, I think. Most of the physical therapy world now, you know, is is on board with those two concepts. Is that the practice variance amongst physical therapists is way too too big, and then outcome tracking is people just don't do it, right? And they don't see why. And so the initial concept was, okay, let me try and create a website where I can try and tackle those two things. And then I start working on that, and I had to learn web design initially first. And so I had to teach myself web design, and then I had to look at that. And then all of a sudden, I took on some other roles where I was I was the uh, chair for for membership at AOMS, and then I was on the membership committee for the uh, orthopedic section. And both of these was like a, they were eye opening that you know community is kind of lacking as well. We're lacking a, a strong community at times for individuals uh, in physical therapy. They can go places like Facebook, they can go places like maybe they can find some different forums, but there's not a cohesive community that's sure. a place that they can go discussing. And so, okay, well, let me try and work that in. And then I get into education and I'm thinking, okay, well, how can I get into education and start training this? And all of this, all of this I know it sounds roundabout, but the concept was I was looking at all these different facets that I felt were lacking in terms of a, a central place to house all of this. And what it eventually came to was that PhysioNexus is now a, a community hub for educational learning, okay? and what differentiates it from other websites that are producing educational material is that it's looking at the idea, it's not making the assumption that students and people actually know how to learn. I can tell you that one of the things that was eye-opening to me um, as a residency coordinator was that I was realizing that a lot of my students, it didn't matter how I packaged the information, if the individual didn't have proper skill sets to actually learn, and actually understand the science behind how they are going to contextualize information, how are they going to chunk that information and put it into their long-term storage and make the relationships, et cetera. People were still in the habit of 
you know, what do the, what do the majority of people who are studying do? They, they read, they reread, they highlight, and all of those things are, are strategies for short-term retention. And no one addresses that in terms of education and learning. You know, you have all of these great resources, wonderful resources online for education, and all of them are, they're the same as our CEU practice, where it's, you, you go in, someone's going to lecture you, and then you're going to go away, and it's your responsibility to retain whatever that was. Right. I'm not making that assumption that someone knows that. So the website and the community of Studio Nexus is developing it's two things. It's one, it's developing a, a process of learning, and it's developing all these education tracks that are, look, this is the information. This is the best way to process that information. We're going to break it down, and we're going to show you how you will actually step-by-step learn this information in order to hardwire it into your brain, right? And it's basing it off of all of these great, there's all this great literature, there's books, um, Make It Stick, there's a book, Ultra Learning, you have the Learn How to Learning courses on Coursera, you have all these different philosophies and all this different information that shows these are the best practices for learning. But the other thing that, you know, I have a background, I say background because I want to make it sound special for a second, but I'm a video gamer. You know, when I was in college and high school, I was glued to a television playing video games all the time. And one of the important things that, that I think the app companies and the social media companies that they've kind of cracked the code on is habit formation, yes. right? Yes. They are brilliant at developing habits. And there's a, there's a book called Make Time that they talk about these things as infinity pools. It's, it's these infinity pools that you just get swept into and that there's no pulling out. You know, it's, you look, you go on Pinterest or YouTube and it's got that infinity scroll. You keep going down and down. There's always more videos and it's tapping into, you know, it's tapping into things like novelty and complexity and unpredictability and all of these things that, that kind of lock you in. And no one actually, you know, what I I was realizing is that as I started to beta test this website with students and they, they would say, Oh, we love the, the philosophies. We love the ideas. But the major problem was that, none of it was actually sticking as a habit because all of the outside world was queuing into their triggers. You know, you have these triggers that develop habits and everything else in their life was queuing into those triggers. But the habits of actually learning and the habits of actually studying were not. And so to me, it was okay. So those are the two main areas. This whole long journey of physiognosis came to me was that one, we're making the assumption that people know how to learn. And two, we aren't doing anything to help them break poor habits and develop good study habits because they don't even know what that possibly means. Right. And so the gamification of the website in order to help you develop, you know, the drive and the desire and the want to, to learn and study was another huge part of this process. And then obviously the the bottom line is community. You know, I'm a culture junkie. I hope that's kind of come off. So to me, community is huge. And so you then are doing this with your classmates. You're, you're in this fight with your classmates, your colleagues, people that you haven't met yet internationally. And I want this to be an international website and platform because there's a lot we can learn from other countries and hopefully they can learn from us. So it's kind of a lofty, big, you know, process and, and, and it's a one man show currently. Um, I've got some colleagues that are, that are slowly getting more and more on board. And so I'm very excited to see where it's going to go once we get uh, momentum and community support. That's great. Yeah, no, every, everything I just heard there, 100% agree with, you know, kind of the transient nature of social media. It's a good way to share 
quick stuff, but does that stick, right? I mean, you brought up that book, Made to Stick, by the Heath Brothers. A great book to read if you're trying to get people to remember something and change behavior, which is what you're trying to do, which is what all social media is trying to, you know, is trying to give you information. But are they trying? Are they actively able to change behavior? Probably not, for the reasons that you lit that you listed. In terms of the Infinity Pool, Instagram actually even installed something not long ago, where if you scroll. And you've actually now reached the the point where you left off last time. Now you're now you're scrolling through old stuff that you've already seen. Instagram will actually tell you you've 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 caught up. They'll actually put a message. Up, you, you've caught up. Yeah, essentially, it's like you've gotten to the end. You've covered this already. And Take a it, breath. It really triggers. Yeah, it triggers something in your brain. Like, oh, I should probably put this down. It doesn't say put this down. It makes you think put this down, which is which is uh, what you were kind of saying there in terms of that infinity pool. But they have. They've figured out that gamification on pattern recognition on, ooh, I'm positively rewarded for this. I mean, shoot, log into Facebook and you see that red number with how many notifications or messages you have. Tell me you're not going to go there right right away to see if they're what they Oh, are. immediately. You have I mean, to. That's, have that's to. like that's like that's like Amazon tapping into heuristics and and every product that tells you how many are left as opposed to you know, there's no need to put that on there, but yep. it would say there are fourteen left. And it's tapping into your oh I gotta I, I need to I need to you know, know. this FOMO, that fear of missing out. And you know that there's a warehouse full of like a thousand of them. Yep. You know, it's one of those things that they're tapping into that. There's a great book by so it, it, I thought it was hilarious and it was a wonderful read. I, and I, I don't I don't want to butcher his name, but I think it's Nir Eyal. It's N I R E Y A L, and he wrote two books. The first book was Hooked, and Hooked is in essence going through that concept. It's looking at how do you hook someone and develop habits. And what's wonderful about the book is it goes through that process, and then there's a chapter on morality where it's like, look, this is the concept behind developing these habit loops. This is the moral check when you're putting this in place that you probably need to wrestle with if you're going to do this for your business, your company. Right. And then, then he ended up releasing a second book called Indistractable, which was, okay, I think the hooked group, the hooked group is doing too well. Here are the strategies now that you need if you want to avoid those habit loops and avoid those um, constructions them. of those negative habits. Yeah, and recognize it. Yeah. And how do you brace for it? So PhysioNexus website, uh, PhysioNexus.com. Oh, dot, dot org. Sorry, Sorry dot, dot org. Dot org. Uh, on Twitter at PhysioNexus, uh, spell it the same way as uh, as I'm saying it right there. What's this going to do in terms of transforming it when when the community starts to form around this? How will this change the users? So, so, so here's the thing: is, is I, I probably come from a different model than other people in terms of the company, right? And and this isn't like a a, a boasting or any of those kind of things. I think that for me, there's I probably follow more YouTubers and follow more people that use Patreon and follow more people that, you know, have Twitch streams and et cetera. And what I think is so amazing about those platforms is exactly that. It's, it's that you have this in, individual who has started creating content and the community rallies around that individual that supports that content because mm-hmm. they want that community. They want that place, right? And so that's where Fuzu Nexus is going in terms of initially it's I'm there are going to be YouTube videos coming out that are educational tracks, right? These YouTube, these YouTube educational tracks are going to be there for you. And it's going to be, if you break down learning, you've got concepts, you've got the facts, and then you've got process, right? And so these videos are going to be a lot of the concepts. 
these are the concepts you're looking for about this subject matter, et cetera. A lot of the facts are going to be housed more so on PhysioNexus, utilizing utilizing platforms in PhysioNexus that help you retain information, space repetition, interleaving, because that's how I, I now need the facts to stick onto these concepts. And so that'll be housed in PhysioNexus, as along with procedural videos, et cetera. In terms of where it's going, you know, the type of limit. You know, I, I am not looking at this. It's a dot .org for a reason. I'm not I'm not going at this as a you know, profit hound. I'm looking at this as this is a community, and wherever the community wants to take it, you know, they're going to take it. And I'm hoping that people start diving in wholeheartedly and thinking, yeah, I want, I want more ownership about tracking my outcomes to see where my limitations are and then seeing how to improve those limitations. and the more I invest in the site in terms of energy, and that energy is a very low bar in terms of data entry and, mm-hmm. and browsing other cases that people are writing and commenting on cases and, and looking and having a section for reflection so that I can reflect on what all this means to me. But with that investment, hopefully there's a tenfold return in terms of your practice pattern, but then also your value in terms of hopefully that excites you about your profession more because I think that a lot of people don't take ownership of their practice and it's the individuals that don't take ownership of it that are going to then have the quote unquote burnout yeah. because it just becomes the doldrums. You know, you, next thing you know, you're just clocking in, clocking out. And if you're not reflecting and you're not pushing yourself and, and you're not having strong collegial conversations and building relationships within the profession, then yeah, of course you're going to burn out. But the problem that most people have is they don't know how to do that. You know, they don't know where that exists. They don't know, you know, like you mentioned Facebook, there's a lot of Facebook groups, but Facebook is very transient. You know, it's like you said, once it's on your feed and it's gone, it's gone. So where, where is the lasting imprint of that, the lasting footprint of, of that interaction that maybe that individual had in that group? Maybe the people that saw it and liked it had a, you know, a relationship to that conversation, but how much did that reflect on them? How much did, how much did they think about it? How much are people in the future who are going to join that Facebook group be able to, you know, grow from that interaction? They're probably not. It's gone. Down the feed, you know, the, the next information coming up. So that's the thing is, is I, I think that there's a, there is a, there's a gap, there's a hole, there's a void for this type of community that is going to learn together and take ownership of education and habit forming to make themselves better clinicians and they're going to have like-minded individuals around them helping them, you know, push for those goals. I like it. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's an online mimicking of that uh, that residency uh, experience that you were talking about. Who, How are we going to push these people together? Definitely not on your own, right? So together, you're trying to create that community and uh, and facilitate that thing that you can that you can make people level up in terms of uh, you know using that yeah. uh, martial art background in terms of how will you get better? It's by community and by being pushed. Yeah, I think there's a lot of other groups of individuals that have already found this and figured this out. You know, if you look at that was one of the things that for me learning how to web design that was a big one because there's a lot of people out there who they'll tell you that when they got there, they finished their degree in, you know, web design. And, and, and then when they actually got a job, they're like, I didn't know any, you know, I, I, I knew computer science, I knew some background, but I didn't actually learn until I was on the job. And where they learned was online. You have these websites like Stack Overflow and you have these different communities like Code Academy and, and all these different websites that have already tapped into this. They've gamified learning. They have gamified peer-to-peer assistance and being able to help people because when you help someone, now you're getting you're leveling up and getting access to more stuff and you're, and 
there's there are people that they've already tapped into that aspect in a wonderful way that it improves everybody on these you know platforms and they all come away with it knowing more and having infinite more knowledge and so other professions are doing that it's just that we are we're a very analog profession you know by nature because we're hands-on we're right there with the patients and it, that makes sense. You know, we're not as much of a, you know, we're pushing a little bit digitally as a profession in terms of certain education, you know, processes, but definitely not in terms of a community. Well done. Physionexus.org is where you could find out more information. Trent, are you ready for three questions? Oh, I guess so. On the hot seat with three questions on the PT Pinecast. There's only one answer to that. Of course you're ready. Uh, three questions brought to you by our yeah. friends from Arius Medical uh-huh. Staffing. You're free to move about the country. Uh, positions in all settings all across the United States, all 50 states in Washington, D.C. Don't want to leave out the nation's capital. A-U-R-E-U-S-Medical.com. That's uh, A-U-R-E-U-S-Medical.com. If you're thinking about you know, doing this thing called physical therapy that you want, wherever you want it, short-term assignments, long-term assignments, whatever you like. Arius has been doing it for more than two decades. First question, a where question, since Arius has positions all over the uh, United States. Where's someone in the U.S. you'd want to go if you could do a short-term assignment anywhere? Uh, I'd probably go back. So, so I've got a, um, I've got an older sister uh, with kids up in Montana, Kalispell, or it's in Whitefish, but right outside of Kalispell. So I think that we would probably be Kalispell. You know, yeah. it's be close to family, close to the outdoors, big sky. You've got uh, glacier right there. That would be a wonderful experience. Yeah, personally, yeah. I think not not a bad spot. And anywhere there's during people, the summer, during yeah. oh, of summer, course, not winter, of course, yeah. So, and the great part is anywhere there's people, there needs to be a physical therapist. So you're free, you're free to move about the country. Again, A-U-R-E-U-S-Medical.com. Question number two is a what question. This helps me build up my uh, my reading list. I've already been jotting down the, the some of the titles of the books you've been mentioning. But what's something you mm. watched, read, or listened to that inspired you? Uh, I would say, so inspire, I would say if you want just inspiration, straight inspiration, there's a book called Do the Work. Uh, by Stephen Pressfield. And I actually got this reference, or this was referred to me, I think it was like a, there was a YouTube individual who does productivity, and he said, this is the book that inspired me big time. And so then I started reading it, and it's pretty much, I believe the individual is, where he's writing this from perspective-wise is for writers, and how you get over the resistance in the world, and the resistance is anything that's keeping you from doing the work. And But it's, but it's so parallel to anybody to get past that sort of, quote unquote resistance as they use and it and it is a it feels like a coach yelling at you at times. Like it, it's very powerful in terms of how it's written and how direct and blunt it is. It's called Do the Work. Real short read and it's it's fantastic. Love it. Question number three is a who question all about people in our profession. Who's someone you think the audience should know more about? That's a great question. Um there's a lot of people. That's a that's a long laundry list of individuals. You know you know who I think probably needs more you know, followers on Twitter and more recognition. It's probably Roy Film. He's um, he's up in Maryland. He's a member of AOMP, and he's sort of leading the charge a lot in the opium world. And he's got a great, you know, if you want to see, he's got a great Twitter presence in terms of what he's talking about and motivation for the, the field of the profession. And he's probably going to, this is probably about a left field for him, but I'm 
preferring him for this, but I think he deserves it. So. All right, well, he's got one more follower. I just clicked on it right now. It's at RoyFilmDPT. You're off the hot seat. That's three questions from our friends at RS yeah. Medical Staffing. Uh, check out Travel PT, even if you're just curious. They've got the answers. Not only the positions in all 50 states, but taxes or CEUs or license uh, from state to state changes. They've got that covered. A-U-R-E-U-S medical.com. The last thing we do on the show, Trent, is the parting shot. This is the parting shot. The parting shot is brought to you by Rock Tape. Rock Tape is more than just a tape company. They are a movement company, bringing you not only the world's finest kinesiology tape, but movement courses to help you get your patients moving stronger, longer. Make sure to check out your medical provider pricing right now at rocktape.com medical. That's rocktape.com medical to get your hands on Rock Tape, Rock Blades, Rock Pods, and Rock Floss. Again, rocktape.com medical. That is rocktape.com medical. Parting shot, your last chance for a mic drop moment. You're, you're an academic teaching advanced uh, PT students. Is there something you always hammer home, like your one elevator pitch, like don't forget this? Oh, that's a tough one. And, you know, it's one of those things that I've, I listened to some of your party shots recently and you had Alicia, I think, Hosmer on there who said, lift up other people. And I thought, good Lord, that's so strong. How am I going to follow up something like that? <laughs> I was like, wow. Uh, and so I'm not going to be in that area. I will say that I think grit, you know, it's one of those things that, you know, Alicia Duckworth, who wrote the book Grit, she talked about talent times effort equals skill, and then skill times effort equals ability. And in both those equations, the effort is in there, and therefore it means the amount of effort you put into things is twofold in the output that you're going to get for your abilities. And so it's that grit, you know, you got to do the work, you got to grind it out because it's going to pay off doubly if you do. Absolutely. Love that. You can't go wrong when you quote grit on the Pinecast. Trent Harrison, appreciate uh, you sharing that. Again, physionexus.org, and it's uh, on Twitter at physionexus. Thanks for taking some time and sharing us a little bit of your background and some stuff that you're doing into the future. Appreciate it, buddy. Always love seeing on this podcast. The PT Pinecast is a product of PT Pinecast LLC. It is hosted and produced by PT Pinecast CEO Jim McKay and CBO Sky Donovan from Marymount University. We talk PT, drink beer, and record it. This has been another pour from the PT Pinecast. The PT Pinecast is intended for educational purposes only. No clinical decision-making should be based solely on one source. While care is taken to ensure accuracy, factual errors can be present. More on the show at ptpinecast.com. If you're looking for education past your physical therapy degree, look no further than Brooks IHL. That's Brooks Rehabilitation Institute of Higher Learning. You can find out more at brooksihl.org. Continuing education along with residencies and fellowships. Residencies in orthopedics, geriatrics, women's health, neurologic PT, pediatrics, sports, and a fellowship opportunity as well. So look into it if you're looking to expand and your knowledge base, brooksihl.org. Our home on the internet, ptpinecast.com. Created by Build PT. Build PT provides marketing services specifically for private practice PTs. From website development and hosting, providing content marketing solutions for PT clinics across the country. See what Build PT can do for you today at buildpt.com.